So let's recite the lecture verse. The unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. I'm going to talk about Manjushri today. This was his day for those of you that came for the ceremony. Um, this is the festival day where we celebrate Manjushri. And I have to be completely honest, I didn't sleep well last night. My mind is kind of going, what are we doing? <laughs> and I certainly don't feel wise, able to talk about wisdom. So we'll give it our best shot. and. Be generous with me. So, um, Manjushri is a bodhisattva, and, and bodhisattvas are enlightening beings. They are beings who help other beings become enlightened, and they themselves are in the process of enlightening, enlightening themselves, enlightening others. So that's a very wonderful concept in Buddhism, a bodhisattva. And this talk that I'm going to hopefully be able to get out is my reflections on wisdom and how spiritual practice can help us to train our minds to become wiser. Because truthfully, it is our minds that get in the way of wisdom. So um, Webster's Dictionary defines wisdom by the following qualities. To have wisdom is to have knowledge, good sense. To be wise is to be able to discern wise action within relationships or broader areas. Okay. We all know that um, there's a certain attraction to wisdom. People who are wise pull you in by their wisdom. However, if we're trying to be wise to impress people with our skills and our wise actions, that's perhaps not how Manjushri is, the wisdom of Manjushri. Because a wisdom with self caught up in it is really actually potentially dangerous. That's how people can get hurt, because precepts are broken in the name of wisdom. So our minds not only get in the way of wisdom, but they can help us discern wisdom in others, wisdom in ourselves. So it's a very interactive distilling process. <clears throat> At the beginning of the ceremony today, we recited a sutra which tells the story of the king who was named Universal Enfolder. And he um, did all these works of merit. And then, for those who were not at the festival and did not hear the scripture, um, and then he wants to, know, wants to think of how to apply it. And how, what, how do I use this merit? Do I become a universal monarch? All these various things. 
And the story goes that the gods in the air said, hey, you know, don't do that. Don't, don't have such a narrow view. Open it up. Become, aspire to bodhicitta. Now, bodhicitta is the will to enlightenment. And what does that mean? Well, I think of it, and I think this is the definition, that bodhicitta is the desire, it's the bodhisattva vow of wanting to enlighten all beings as we ourselves are enlightened. So there's no separation there. There's this incredible inclusion of wisdom. And that's a clue. The Dharma is full of clues. And they're always following around us. That's fine, friend, not to worry. Um, and they're falling around us, and um, that's a clue, that, that to, wisdom comes from aspiring to help other beings. So that's probably a definition of wisdom that's pretty good for all of us, that if we're trying to help beings, we are partaking in wisdom. However, it's a little more complicated than that. And we'll, we'll go on how to decipher that. So you can see from the scrolls, especially that one, um, that Manjushri is riding a beast. And for this was talked about in the scriptures we sang, but it's also that beast is the representation of the self. And you can see that from that scroll there that the beast loves Manjushri. There is this love between them. And Manjushri doesn't take guff from the beast. So we have to see our selfishness. We have to see where the self gets activated and then apply the antidote, apply the things that bring our minds to stillness and to wisdom. <clears throat> when we start spiritual practice, we often want enlightenment. It sounds so good. We'd be through of all our troubles. Everybody would love us. We'd love everybody. Ah, oh, what a relief. There's so much suffering. And we come to enlightenment with, we come to practice with the desire to get rid of that suffering. Reverend Master Jiu used to say, spiritual practice begins on the me side, the me, the self wanting some relief. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just learning how to expand the process to include others. Dogen brought Chan meditation and Dogen was one of our Japanese ancestors. So he brought, he went to China and brought Chan meditation practice, the practice we do, that we taught, those of you who came to, for the retreat. Serene reflection is Zen meditation, Chan meditation. So Dogen brought this from uh, China to Japan. And Dogen said there were, he, Dogen in his writings talks about the four wisdoms. And what are the four wisdoms? They're charity, tenderness, 
benevolence and sympathy. It's it's empathetic connection with others. Now, all of those involve compassion. They don't seem to be wise, per se, but actually they are, because you cannot have wisdom without compassion. And that's another clue. And we all know this from experience because we've experienced someone who may be saying the right thing and be wise in what they're saying, but their actions and the way they're saying it is unkind and cruel. And we know that if someone isn't being kind, then the wisdom gets lost. So it's a really important aspect of of wisdom. Another clue. There's been a movement in, in the West uh, for something called crazy wisdom, which is supposed to be a spontaneous wisdom, just erupts from freedom, and you go about doing all kinds of crazy things. And it's that supposedly that line between craziness and madness. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is a, a Theravada monk, was not very happy with the crazy wisdom movement. And he actually says, the Buddha never taught that. The Buddha taught that wisdom is attainable. So, um, through insight and through work. So I'm going to quote Bhikkhu Bodhi. And this is from his chapter about insight to wisdom. Uh, and it's at the beginning of um, in the Buddha's words. And he says, To master them, the insight to wisdom, requires analysis, discrimination, and discernment. One must be able to abstract from the overwhelming mass of facts certain basic patterns fundamental to all experience and use these experiences as templates for close contemplation of one's own experience. So, I found that a very helpful definition of what's going on with wisdom. That it's something we work at, we we discern, it's a process. Um, And how do we do this process? Well, we meditate and we um, follow precepts of morality. And that's another downside of of, uh, crazy wisdom is that they often are breaking precepts and causing harm. So if wisdom is about engendering bodhicitta and wanting to bring all beings to enlightenment, then wisdom is about bringing compassion, our meditation, our wise discernment to the process, our following of precepts. And that's what gets us wise. We work at it. It's an interactive process. We don't just miraculously become wise, we actually see where we're unwise. (laughs) That's a big part of training. But meditation is extremely powerful and helpful tool. Those of you who have been at the retreat know um, that when you start meditating, you realize how scattered and busy the mind is. The mind goes all the time and Part of what meditation does is 
makes us aware of what's going on. If people have the con- a concept that meditation should be blissful, you should be peaceful, quiet, wonderful. But actually, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the work of meditation is found in watching the mind and seeing what the mind's getting up to. And the value of meditation in my mind, the wisdom of meditation, is something we do all the time when we meditate which is, as soon as we see we're distracted, we come back. We let go, and we come back. We let go, and we come back. Millions of times in a lifetime. Billions. But it's the essential heart of meditation. Really helpful. Now, when we meditate and we become aware of our karmic action we actually begin to start noticing we do things over and over again. We see things through a very narrow view. We have a view of life, a view of ourselves, and we repeat it over and over again to ourselves. Most of it is very unhelpful <laughs> and painful, and, um, but it's this denigration of ourselves and others, the constant negative, neg- being negative, about other beings and ourselves. So first we have to see that, that the mind's tendency can be quite negative. That's it. All we have to do is see it. Oh, there it is again. Oh, I'm doing that again. Oh, isn't that helpful? Yes, it is, actually. (laughs) Now, one of the things that wisdom comes from wisdom is that when we see this repetitive pattern going on, we just like when we meditate, we can see it and let it go. That's really helpful. Oh, there it is again. If we can make friends with it, that's also helpful. Oh, there's my old friend anger. Oh, there's my old friend judgment. It takes the sting out of it. It's not This isn't about judging ourselves because we have qualities that are negative. If it was, there wouldn't be any hope for us. But there's tons, tons of room to change, as we all know. So there's something joyous about this process, even though at times very difficult. So reframing is a really important part of wisdom. And that reframing comes from either letting go or changing our view about it. How radical it is to look at something in our old way and then say, oh, could I see this differently? And sometimes that change is just a simple shift. Oh, this person, we could be upset with someone. We want them to be different. And if we stay still and just consider, well, this person believes what they're doing. Can we just embrace that? Even if they're doing something wrong, can we just be still with them? Witness what's going on. It's extremely powerful. It's extremely wise, truthfully. Very hard to do. Sometimes, I I think we do... No, we do have things that are wise. We do know 
important things. But because we're so used to our mind going nonstop, we miss it. It just slides by us with all the other thoughts. So part of wisdom is that willingness to just consider what we're saying, to pay attention to what we're saying, and to consider it. Is this true? Is this valid? It takes time, but the benefits of this practice are extremely profound and um, very subtle. To do this practice takes patience, which is a sign of wisdom. So be patient with yourself. That's wise. Now, I think in, in part of wisdom is just keeping your mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> You're just about to say something, and something says, just be quiet. And you listen to that, and you let it be. Um, it's very important when we're interacting with people. It's the self it's the repetitive patterns that want to express themselves. But that is fundamentally dissatisfying. And what is actually satisfying is the cessation. It's just the willingness to stop, take a breath. So um, just as keeping our mouth closed can be wise, sometimes not acting can be wise. Just give something more time. Often we react, I know I do, We're, i just got to get this thing done. I've got to do this thing. I've got to get it out. And, and it's completely unnecessary to put that pressure on the situation. Everything can be given space, and that is wisdom. So, and of course, because this process is so hard, we learn then we see our own struggles with it. And we're much more compassionate to other people. So we know how hard it is for ourselves to be wise. Why do we expect other people to be wise? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, that the compassion and wisdom, that's why they are linked. Because we need to be generous with ourselves and others. We need to be kind. Tender. These are wisdom qualities, as Dogen said. So you can see you don't get wisdom. It's not something we get. It's something that comes forth by our moving out of the way. The universe is wise and will help us. It's embarrassing how wise the universe is because you're always thinking you have to solve stuff and actually there's something greater going on in the solution. Now, when we're watching our minds with wisdom as a filter and we're training our speech and actions, this is where precepts come in and are so very important. Um, The three pure precepts are refrain from doing harm, do only good, and do good for others. And those are fundamental to the Buddha's teaching. So they're the filter for how we review our actions. Were, were we, did we not do something that was negative? Were we helpful? 
Were we trying to do good? And were we doing good for other beings? And that is what bodhicitta, the will for enlightenment, is really about. It's about bringing that, that care for others to, to our daily life, to our practice. Now, if we don't do that, if, if we're thinking we're being wise and we're not paying attention, then that's kind of like do-goodism. We all know that somebody who knows what's right for the situation and they go in and they make a complete mess of something because they weren't considering the exchange that goes on with, with other beings. And that exchange is really important. We're interconnected here. It isn't about us running the world. It's about us helping, helping, engendering bodhicitta. And, you know, that little beast of self, we have to recognize it. We have to recognize when it's really our self-partiality. It's what we want. We're being selfish in this situation. So I have to say, even though this is a difficult process, it's fun. It, there is a joy to spiritual practice, and it's really an important part of wisdom. And those who have been doing it a long time know that. There is just something really joyous about going through this process and learning. It's like continually learning, and what a benefit that is to ourselves and others. Now, um, I'm trying to think. Okay, uh, I, don't, I have one more quote, but I've I got to ch- chatter away a bit. Um, so how you know we're talking about refraining or stepping back from something wisdom is also found in a shift of our view and that willingness to shift our view that's just a really important thing consider what the other person is saying listen to what they're saying instead of being certain that we're right and they're wrong you know there's truth in everything And the real benefit, the real truth, is our ability to listen to ourselves and to be still with that and to be willing to shift our view. So that is an extremely helpful way to transform the mind and to have it become more prone to wisdom. You know, I've spent much of my life, much of my spiritual practice, truthfully, trying to become more bright-minded. I have a very negative mind. It just immediately goes to the negativity. And so there, too, wisdom is gotten by continually bringing ourselves back to a more positive way, to a more brighter way. And... um, and that's actually fun. <laughs> that is fun to do that. That's why we like to train and do spiritual practice is because we feel good when we do that. We don't have to hate ourselves, sorry. <laughs> we don't have to hate ourselves for being negative. We just have to see it and say, oh, okay, thank you. Bring it back and come back. And there's a joy that comes from that. So I'm trying to look for this 
second quote I had, which I just love, because his joy, he expresses the joy of this. And it's a poem that you can find in the Mother of All Wisdoms, which is Prajnaparamita. That's the book, The Mother of All Wisdom. The Mother of All Wisdom is a woman. She, she births Buddhas. Okay, so Buddhas come from this. And he, it's in the appendix. His name is, I'm probably going to ruin it, Sankapa. He was in the 14th century, and he wrote this poem on 27 verses of mind training. And this, I read this poem regularly when I feel the world's distressed and I, I'm awake at night. I read it as an offering out to the world. It's, it's a very positive poem about um, training our minds. And I, I, it's, help, it's helpful. Anyway, he says, this is one of the verses, transform the intense activity of daily life into the harmonious expression and teaching of truth by affectionately reminding and being reminded that the dark, bitter fruits of negating others are poisonous, to be carefully avoided, while the sweet, bright fruits of affirming others are life-giving, to be thoroughly enjoyed. Authentic delights exist exist only in serving others, and suffering springs only from harming others or insensitively ignoring the needs of living beings. That encapsulates what I've been saying. So I know you had a lot of lectures, those of you, talks, those of you who have come for this retreat, and I, uh, I know you got your trip. I want to thank you all for coming. It's an act of wisdom to come to a retreat. It's an act of wisdom to be at a monastery. And we love people coming. So feel free to come back. Um, you know, I, I want to end with the, the scripture of great wisdom, which we recite daily and which I love deeply. And the last line, or near the last line, of the Buddha is the mantra of pra, Prajnaparamita. And it says, O Buddha, going, going, going on beyond, and always going on beyond, always becoming Buddha. And that's us. We're always becoming Buddha. We're always enlightening beings. There's this incredible energy and force that we're participating in in the most positive way. And thank you very much.